Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I am your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And today we got a nutrition topic. Part two. Part two. That's right. I, first, got, I can't remember what the first one was titled yeah. now. Part one, uh, which is nutrition topics that you change your opinion on. Yep. We have the first four. We have four more. Um, so we want to do a part two today. Yep. Uh, <coughs> actually, I had the three, and the fourth one I created actually spun an idea to write a blog, and I ended up writing like a 3,000-word blog, which by the time this airs, it might be live. So if it is, we'll put it in the show notes. Otherwise, just check out tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash blog because there's just a ton of shit in there. And probably be the first one there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we do want to uh, make a quick little mention just so you guys get more free value every time you listen to this podcast. And we have so much free stuff out there that we want to constantly remind you every time we get a chance. And today we want to remind you of the Performance Bodybuilding ebook. So I haven't mentioned this one in a while on the podcast, but this is a ebook that is going to break down my specific method of programming uh, in this style that I termed performance bodybuilding. And the reason I called it that was because there's a little bit of everything in it, really. I actually had a guy that just reached out to me. Two, it's actually really ironic. Two people. So you remember that picture I showed to you not long ago where I, it's, it's me and Theo and a bunch of dudes I trained. Actually, was training Theo at the time. He wasn't a coach yet, but it's mm. like we're kids. I'm literally like 18 or 19. I'm wearing those huge baggy shorts. Remember, I was like, "Oh, I'm wearing Toms." No, remember that picture? You don't remember no. that picture? I just no. showed you the other day. It was like a Facebook memory or okay. something. Okay, um, and we we're at the old old figure, and I'm in that picture with. I was training Theo at the time. I was training a dude named Craig Beatty who just reached out to me. I was training another dude named Jesse Davis. Uh, Nev, who played soccer at UNLV, um, Jesse Davis went and played college ball, basketball somewhere, I can't remember, but it was like the athlete group, mm-hmm. and then Craig actually didn't play any sport, he was just like, he just trained with us while he was going to Wazoo, um, but he hit me up and Jesse hit me up from that picture the same day, and they just signed up for the Taylor Trainer, oh, so, no and they both were jumping into performance bodybuilding, um, and, and the thing Craig said was like, man, this brings me back to the old days, and it was, the cool thing about that program is, it, it really is kind of... It's crazy that it took me this long to kind of coin it that, but this is how I've been training for so long where we blend. I mean, it's power building to an extent, but we put in some power and speed work in there because it's just fucking fun. Like yeah. instead of just powerlifting or just bodybuilding, let's do some sprints. Let's do some throws, some slams, some jumps, some anything explosive, really snatches, stuff like that, where we can do safe movements that practice power development and explosiveness, then shift into power lifting where we're lifting heavy, followed by some accessory work that is going to be um, more power building focus. Like maybe we're doing a Bulgarian split squat. Maybe we're doing RDL six to eight rep range, slow tempos going heavy. And then we have a few days of the week that it's just straight broing out. We're doing bodybuilding. So we might be doing a bench press, but we're also going to be using bodybuilding techniques to intensify that and then follow that up with flies and curls and lateral raises and stuff like that. So it's a really, really good blend of everything. Uh, so if you want to look and feel like an athlete, this is the program for you. But the cool thing about the download that you guys can get if you go to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash guides or just click the link in the show notes of this podcast will go right to the specific download is that um, I teach you how I do everything. So it's not just here's the program, 
try to figure it out while you look at the program. And it's, it's okay, let's go over volume, intensity, frequency. Let's go over energy systems and periodization and exercise selection and why the split is the way the split is. Um, and undulation and concurrent training where we're focusing on multiple goals at once and how that still shifts you forward. Um, similar to like the training physique manual, which teaches you a lot of those same things, but in a completely different context. Gotcha. Just specifically body composition versus how do we blend conditioning, intensity, strength, power, hypertrophy, which sounds kind of crazy because you're throwing all this shit at a wall, but there's like a method to the madness. Um, so my favorite style of training, period, and it's uh, there's a program in the app, of course, which you can also check out at taylortrainer.net, but this free ebook will give you a good taste of that if you don't want to jump into the app yet and you want a free sample of one of the programs in there, performance bodybuilding, and an explanation on why I program that way. Um, once again, link is in the download or the description of this podcast. There we go. So... All right, well, let's uh, get into it today, guys. we got four more topics that Cody would like to elaborate on. So, all right, opinion number one is going to be diet breaks, fix hormone issues, and adaptations. Opinion number five, technically. Yeah. So Number um, one today, number five total, yeah. yes. And remember, these, these are opinions that have changed, guys. So, um, once upon a time, I believed that diet breaks fixed hormonal adaptations and metabolic adaptations. So, um, I should hormone issues and metabolic adaptations. What I mean by that is when we're dieting, most people know this by now, especially those who listen to the podcast a lot. When we're dieting over time, we do see a trend downward in hormonal health. Um, and to an extent health, and this is where dieting is kind of a double-edged sword, right? Where if, if you have 50 pounds to lose, you can go in a big deficit and you actually will improve health because you need to eat less at that moment. But if you have 50 pounds to lose and you go into a deficit and you lose 50 pounds and you stay in that deficit, or it took you really long and you've been in that energy deficit, calorie deficit for a long period of time, at that point, we're going to start seeing issues with your hormones. This is where um, we talked about REDS on one of the podcasts, Relative Energy uh, Deficient Syndrome. And this is essentially mainly found in uh, female athletes. It's kind of like they talk about the female athlete triad. Um, and this is where we do have some of these adaptations. We're basically overstressing our body through exercise and, and athletic training, and we're not fueling properties, so we're not eating enough or one or the other. And in gen pop, we don't call it the female triad much because they're not usually athletes, and it's not usually because they're going so hard. Unless we got like a CrossFit athlete that is just going hard all the time, it's usually because they're in too big of a deficit trying to lose weight, not because they're so obsessed or into their training for their sport that they're going a little too hard too too long, right? Sure. Um, but the, the end result is the same. And for women, you're going to see, uh, I mean, a lot of the same decreases as men. So decrease in thyroid, uh, T3 specifically, and that's going to be one of the biggest contributors to your metabolic rate. So if the thyroid hormone drops, guess what? That's a big cause for your metabolism to slow down. We're going to see potentially amenorrhea, so the, the loss of your menstrual cycle, which has a host of, of problems. You know, there's, there's some athletes who have to sacrifice that, um, bodybuilding especially, and it's just part of the journey towards stage. So they accept that. It's still not healthy. It's not ideal. You know, and for gem pop, we don't want to see that. Mm. Um, cortisol increases when you're in a deficit for too long. This is going to be um, uh, the stress hormone. So we actually want to keep that lower. Um, we don't want to eliminate cortisol. I think that's an, a lot of people think it's so bad that they try to avoid it at all costs. Cortisol has its purposes, and it's, it's actually a good hormone. But there's, there's a balance that we need to have, right? So if you have chronically elevated cortisol and it constantly, like consistently increasing levels of cortisol because you're in a deficit, 
it's just a signal that you're stressing your body out too much. Your stress hormones are going crazy. And those have a host of effects on other hormones. So it's kind of a vicious cycle, right? For men, we're going to see a, a decrease in testosterone. And then, of course, the other sex hormones for both men and women um, can potentially go out of whack when we're in a deficit. Um, as a, a direct causation of being in a deficit, but also an indirect correlation to these other hormones dropping. Yeah. So we just, this is a normal thing when we diet. And once upon a time, it was like, when diet breaks first came out, we, it was based on short-term thought processes. So it wasn't that every, all of us were wrong. It's just that we didn't have enough evidence or any long-term studies on it. You know, when we see, this is actually the same, this relates to meal timing. When they did short-term studies and you see somebody eats a meal, their metabolic rate increases. So if you eat a meal and your metabolic rate increases, literally, um, what we will take from that if we don't have long-term studies is that the more we eat, the more we're going to spike that metabolism. Yeah. That's where uh, they literally would always say like, you got to stroke the fire, the metabolic fire, which means if you eat six meals a day, the more meals you eat per day, the more you're going to spike your metabolism up. In theory, it makes sense. Yeah. But then they did longer term studies and they did studies where it's like, okay, let's try two meals, three meals, four meals, five meals, six meals, see what happens, control calories. Yeah. There's no differences. So now we go, okay, it's more of like a daily total versus meal by meal. And when we have that information, we can say, actually, you can eat however many meals you want. And the same thing kind of apply, happened with diet breaks where at first we see that increase in calories or body fat technically lead to uh, improved levels of ghrelin, leptin, the hunger hormones that directly affect your metabolism, um, potentially a decrease in cortisol. We see that your metabolism is stimulated, which would imply that your thyroid might be stimulated. So now we, we go, okay, well, if we take refeeds and just have more calories once a week, this is where the cheat meal thing happened. Totally. We're going to improve or avoid this hormonal issue, right? More so reverse it, right? And then they do long-term studies and they go, okay, it's not going to happen with one day of cheat meals or refeeds. So we got to do two days. So they did back-to-back -back days, 48 hours. And they, again, finally saw an increase and they're like, okay, cool, this works better. And they did a longer-term study. They go, actually, that's just going to replenish glycogen. You see a, a, a short-term rise in leptin and ghrelin that are hunger hormones that potentially lead to improved metabolism and metabolic rate. But it's so short-term that it actually does nothing in the grand scheme of things. We need to take a full week. And then it went to a diet break that was a week long. And then it was like the... Matador study came out, which was two weeks long. And with this one, it was two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks on, two weeks off. And they consistently over crazy. So the one group was 16 weeks. The other group was 32 weeks, really long. So that's four months and eight months mm -hmm. of dieting, which is a long fucking time for most people. Absolutely. Um, and they did see better preservation of uh, muscle mass and uh, metabolic rate in the group that did on and off. But then, of course, once that came out, every, we all started doing diet breaks even more because it was like, now we have the evidence. We just have to give them longer. So it either has to be a week or two weeks and it has to be more frequently. So now we're going every couple of weeks, let's give you a diet break. Um, and then some other researchers started kind of picking apart and came to kind of realize that they think the reason was more for adherence purposes and psychological purposes rather than actual hormones that were being reversed or anything like that. Um, and, and this is where uh, Jackson Piaz came out with the ice cap trial, which really helped a lot because they did, they, they ran the study really well. And we've interviewed him on the podcast before. So if you guys want to listen to that, you can check that out. We also did a diet break YouTube video that pulled clips from him, Bill Campbell, and our own Dr. Brandon Robert yep. that really broke down diet breaks really well. So we'll link that in the show notes as well. But essentially what we realized was that it's, it's mainly psychological and there's potentially some uh, performance enhancements, which 
are pretty easily recognizable. If you increase carbohydrates for a full week as a diet break, you're going to replenish glycogen stores, which is going to allow you to perform a little bit better next time you go to the gym. Or if you're in the gym that week, which most people are, it's going to improve, which is also why now my thoughts on diet breaks would be I would actually not take it on a deload, whereas a lot of people think extra recovery because you're already deloading. And I think you're doing less in the gym. Why would you add more carbs? When we have a study now that shows increases in glycogen and the study actually showed increases in muscle endurance, Mm -hmm. which means you can probably do more work, which means more volume, which means more total intensity in the gym and work capacity. It's going to lead to more hypertrophy. So if you're doing a diet and every fourth week you take a diet break, fucking hit the gym hard that week, do a little bit extra and then deload the next week going back to your deficit calories. There we go. Um, So that was one big takeaway. The other ones were, were noticing that like there was no real hormonal changes. So it was more just psychological, which which ultimately means this, like in that Matador study, if we have 32 weeks with diet breaks and 16 weeks without, there's actually a lot of people who would do better without because the thought of 32 weeks of dieting is just, it's a, that's a long time for a lot of people. Now, there's also personality types where that's way better. So as people will come on board for us and they're like, my one goal is fat loss. My, I want to sustain it. I'm committing to a year. So if I say, hey, we can do it this way. It's probably going to be easier psychologically and you'll probably sustain your result because it's a little, it potentially could maintain muscle a little bit better. We're not going to see any crazy differences metabolically speaking, but you're probably going to adhere better because you get more diet breaks. Psychologically, it's going to be easier. You might maintain more muscle, um, if not recomp a little bit because you have those high weeks where we can push volume. If they have a year to do it, they're like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Yeah. But a lot of people are like, no, like four, four months is enough. I want to get after it. I want to lose weight. I want to get to my goal. So that's where we kind of have to balance it to now rather than hormonal uh, adaptation changes. And there was a point in time where a lot of people, even Eric Helms explained it this way as amongst like, I think James Krieger, I heard a couple good researchers. And I would always say it this way too. Jackson's study didn't really imply this, but I would still potentially say it's, it has some validity to it. But if you're dieting and hormonal ab changes are, are happening, ha- uh, hormonal and metabolic adaptations are happening. If we take a diet break, we might put pause on them, right? So it might not reverse those negative adaptations you're having, mm. but it might put pause on them, um, which could help. The other side of it is though, if, if it means you have to diet twice as long, it's not really going to do anything because you might get, uh, if I could put a number on it, this, this number is completely irrelevant, but irrelevant just only for this, uh, explanation. But if you diet for 12 weeks and you get a 50% hormonal adaptation from that, and you do it with diet breaks after 12 weeks, you would probably get a 25%. However, because you took those diet breaks, now you have to diet for 24 weeks, you're still going to end up having that 50% hormonal adaptation. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where the more we research, the more you realize like, yeah, the pause button thing, that's true. However, if you have to diet longer in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to change totally. much. Um, and that's why like every time we dig into it deeper, it's like, this is great. We got to do it longer, right? This is great, but you got to be more aggressive or you got to dial things in a little bit a little bit tighter so we can have more uh, things to pull from. So overall, like uh, as far as like my thoughts on it, you know, way, way back, a single cheat meal would be the answer because we saw increases in, in leptin and ghrelin from increased calories. And therefore that is going to, you know, change your metabolic rate or, or fix your metabolism as you diet. Um, we later realized that's not enough and it needed to be a full day specifically with carbs because carbs are going to store let our less carbs are going to store as fat when you're in a surplus. We just did a research review with Brandon breaking that down. There's also a blog on the pot on the, on the blog, our blog about that. Um, and, uh, 
it's true, but one day still isn't enough to reverse these hormones. So then two days and then my thoughts went to a week and then my thoughts went to consistently. Yeah. Maybe nothing is really going to reverse these hormones. And when you diet, you diet. And when you diet, you get hormonal adaptations and that's just part of dieting. Unless you have a lot of weight to lose because you're obese, then you're not going to have to worry about this until the very tail end, which is great. Um, but for people who want to get like, who have probably, I would say less than 20 pounds to lose and they really want to get after and get lean, you're going to have some metabolic and hormonal adaptations. And that's just part of dieting in the grand scheme. You can reverse diet and and fix those over the long course, but a diet break isn't going to do that for you. And it's healthier to get lean and then focus on reversing to, to, to reverse those hormonal and metabolic adaptations long-term, um, than it is to just not diet because of this, right? Because being leaner is going to be healthier for most people. Um, you'd be defeating the purpose. Exactly. For sure. You know, um, so that's where my, my thoughts have changed is I don't think we're seeing that. I think we could potentially pause hormonal adaptations along the way if we use diet breaks. However, at the end of a diet after weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months of dieting, it's not going to make any difference because you're gonna have to diet longer with diet breaks. Um, diet breaks are primarily going to serve two purposes that are proven by research. One that is more theoretical on my end. And that's, and these are the only reasons I use it. Number one is psychological. We know based on research that it, it's not much hormonal and it's much more, so it's not much physiological, it's much more psychological. And that just means if I give you a diet break, whether it's two days or three days, five days, seven days, two weeks, if I give you a break and the, the length of the break depends on the person's need for frequency of it. So if I give you a two day refeed, it's going to be more frequent than a seven day free diet break. Nonetheless, based on that specific individual, the diet break serves the main purpose of psychologically getting you out of the diet for a little bit so that you can get back into the diet. So long-term, you're less stressed and food-focused, and you can consistently adhere to the diet to lose the weight you need. Um, There's also people that that doesn't work. You give them a diet break, they feel like they're slowing down or it triggers binge feelings. They'd much rather just get after it for 12 weeks straight. Um, And they do better that. Like, we're not taking any diet breaks. They're like, all right, I'm not drinking. I'm just going to get after this. I'm focused. And then after the 12 weeks, we'll reverse slowly and I'll kind of get free meals in and stuff like that. And that works for some people. It doesn't work for me. I need breaks on a regular basis because psychologically, I like to just check out, have fun, do my yeah. thing and keep it in moderation. So everybody's different. Um, I do better with a single one or two day refeed or diet break than I do taking week. a full week. Yeah. You know, it's just a personality thing, right? So psychologically is the biggest thing. Uh, the next thing is glycogen replenishment. So when you're dieting, you are depleting yourself, whether you're on a, even if you're on a higher carb, low fat diet, like myself, you're still in a deficit. And over time, that means you're eating less carbs and calories than you normally do. And that means you're going to deplete yourself, period. That's, you keep getting leaner and leaner. You're going to start feeling flat. You're going to feel less pumps in the gym. Carbohydrates fuel glycogen, which is stored in the muscle cell, which pulls sodium, water, creatine, everything into the muscle cell that lets you stay hydrated for more reps and for better recovery. If we are depleting ourselves, we're going to have a hard time replenishing, recovering, and performing harder and getting more volume in, which is the key thing of, one, actually consistently being in the gym and not feeling like shit, but two, progressing and maintaining muscle while you're dieting. Um, So it's really important, but we need to take diet breaks every once in a while. Now, the leaner somebody gets, the more likely I'm going to use one or two day refeeds more often because if you're really, really lean, you're going to deplete quicker. Mm. right? If you have a longer way to go, I don't need to do it as often, but it's helpful for better performance. And like I said, I would prefer to do it on a week that I can push volume. So if I'm taking a one day or a one week uh, diet break every 
six weeks, let's say, which is a pretty decent like frequency at the, uh, at the six week mark, I'm going to push volume. So I'm going to go weeks one through five. We're just doing normal programming, normal deficit week six. I'm going to pump up volume, add a set, add some reps, go really hard, uh, more in that muscular endurance range. So we might be hitting some like 12, 15, 20 rep sets, really burning out with more carbs. And then I'm going to go back to the deficit and, uh, take a deload after that week. And I'm just going to rinse and repeat. Exactly. And then rinse and repeat. Um, so glycogen replenishment, uh, there is a performance and recovery increase. And then the thing that's more theoretical that I would say isn't, um, it's not proven by research, but it's partially because they don't, from my understanding, they haven't even tried to really research it, which makes sense. I mean, for a lot of people, it's not as important, but if we look at cortisol levels, my theory would be that using diet breaks to avoid excessively uh, increased cortisol levels would probably be helpful. We know that number one, being in a deficit causes cortisol to go up, stress to go up. Number two, being in a surplus or maintenance does the opposite. Yeah. It lowers cortisol and stress. If we know that there's a psychological benefit for adherence and stress from the diet break anyway, there's got to be a correlation there, even though they didn't track cortisol levels. Um, and then the other side of it is the like big spikes in cortisol are less of my, uh, my concern with a client. Long durations of consistently elevated cortisol mm. is more of my issue. So if I can blunt that from like continually being elevated that's what I'm really after um and I and I gotta imagine that's that's gotta be the case everything that they have tracked with it points to that being pretty probable yeah um and in my experience with stressed individuals or training athletes that's one of the biggest benefits is like okay we can keep cortisol low and and keep you de-stressed um and we know that carbs spike insulin insulin blunts cortisol levels so it just makes sense uh how often you need to do that depends on the individual and there's no real research on it, but there's also, there's not a lot of research as well on diet breaks or refeeds with individuals who have hormonal issues. So I don't necessarily think that we, I mean, it would be beneficial. I wouldn't be mad if they did a research study using 40 year old women who do CrossFit and have three kids and a job who are clearly stressed and like high strung, not in a negative way, but like, I mean, they have a lot of stimulus coming into their life, Totally, a lot of stress response. So what would happen if they went on diet breaks and with a deficit? You know, would that help them? We don't know. It's hard to recruit those people for studies because they yeah. have a job, they CrossFit, and they have three kids. So why would they be wasting their time with a fucking research study? Totally. Um, that's why they gather but students from colleges yeah. who don't have a lot of stress. Uh, besides, be very interesting, though. It would be interesting. Yeah. Um, the, the reason I don't think we necessarily need it is, is only because if we're watching other hormonal levels in normal people and we see improvements or... Uh, increases or, de- or decreases in certain hormones, even if that's not necessarily going to benefit them, we can at least say, oh, it does increase this hormone. If it increased that hormone in this person, it would in this person probably even more and it would benefit them. So we don't necessarily need to. It's just we need a diet break study that shows cortisol levels. Totally. Throughout. That's the only thing we don't have. So um, that was a long-winded one, but I think diet breaks is, is something that For has, sure. it's changed so much since I think about the, dude, the first diet break video we filmed was, at my Fife house when that the office was like that big ass rec room yeah that was kind of cool actually yeah. that rec room was sick um but that was our first diet break study and I remember I think it's probably the still on YouTube yeah yeah dude that is like no even before that I was sitting at the desk the wood cedar oh, desk yeah. I had and you had shit popping up yeah. and then I did another one with the whiteboard on periodization mm. and I talked about diet breaks in that office talk 
But it's funny, man, because I've shot so many videos. We didn't even call it that. Yeah, I know we didn't. I I can't remember. It was just periodization video. But (laughs) diet break. We've no. There was uh, nutrition periodization was the whiteboard one, and I talked about diet breaks within it because that's a form of periodization, right? But the periodization video or the diet break video was at the desk. But the point is, is we've shot so much content on that topic. And it's crazy to see how much it's changed because research keeps coming out. Totally. It's, I mean, for lack of cheese words, it's a hot topic in yep. the industry, you yep. know? So, um, a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving parts. Let's uh, move on to the second one where we're going to say low fat diets l- load. What? What? Low, f- low fat diets load to bat land. What is, Damn, your is my handwriting that bad? L A A D. Let me see this. Lead. L-E-A-D. Low-fat diets lead. All right. So the second one is low-fat diets lead to bad hormone health. Similar. Uh, not so similar. There's, there's, there's a crossover between the last one and this one. <clears throat> uh, just from the fact that I think it plays more of a role with uh, low calorie. So um, for a long time, you know, high fat was associated with better hormones. And there is a correlation here because it just like the diet break studies, it's kind of like one of those things where, and, and this is why I chose the last one as the last one. I'm not going to explain what the last one is yet until we get to it. But the point is, is over time, you know, we notice little things in research. And I say we as in the research is actually doing it, not me. But we notice little things inside research that would give us theories and ideas that we exaggerate into theories essentially so for example a uh, fat equals hormones came from a lot of different things Um, for example cholesterol is a nutrient that you you find that within fat that's why like people for a long time were like oh don't eat the the egg yolk because it's, it's high in cholesterol the fat inside of egg yolk has cholesterol but cholesterol also later on was found out that is it is a, a precursor of testosterone. So if you eliminate cholesterol as a male, you actually are lowering testosterone as well. It's not healthy. Um, and if cholesterol is from fat and cholesterol leads to more testosterone, then fat must equal more testosterone, right? And so there's a, there's a correlation there. And, and I understand where that comes from. And there is a tie with those. They've also seen hormones um, in and hormonal uh, precursing vitamins like vitamin D helps hormonal production store in fat. Vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. So if you're taking vitamin D during your fasting period, you're not going to get as much out of it. If you have body fat on your body, which most of us have and should have some, you'll get some. You'll, it's still going to benefit you. But you probably get more benefit out of taking that vitamin D with a meal that has fat in it because it's a fat-soluble vitamin, meaning it can also help by binding that that vitamin D to fat to transport it. So I always look at it like uh, vitamin D is like a sailor and, uh, and this sounds so weird, uh, is a sailor and fat is the boat. You know, if you're on this side and you got to go across the water, the boat's going to take you there. The sailor can only get there with totally. the boat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like it's, it's a transport. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's the tie in there. So there's a lot of different tie-ins within these things. And there's even the, the and this is where like studies started kind of pinpointing a little bit more. It's, it's tied to body fat, right? So with the female athlete triad that we talked about, um, there was a, a big correlation with low, low, low levels of body fat, specifically in women, uh, correlated to low hormone levels. We, they started studying bodybuilders. 
they noticed that bodybuilders who got really, really lean, there's actually a really good case study um, on bodybuilding, uh, a bodybuilding prep diet. Uh, and I highly recommend people check it out. Type in J-I-S-S-N um, bodybuilding case study or bodybuilder prep case study, something like along those lines on Google. It'll come up. There's a couple different ones. One's with like Eric Helms and Alan Aragon and uh, Peter Fishin, I believe. And then another one is Peter Fishin, Eric Helms, Dr. Brandon Roberts from our team, as well as maybe it's Trexler, Eric Trexler, but it's like uh, physique recommendation or recommendations for the physique athlete is the case study that they pulled from it. But both of these show basically bodybuilders going through their prep and they're tracking all these things. And what you see with all these bodybuilders getting super lean, especially towards the tail end when they're really, really lean, really low hormone levels, testosterone, thyroid, all those things. Therefore, hormones are tied to body fat levels on a person's body, which gotcha. is absolutely true. So what they also realize is not just consuming more fat, but also not having enough fat on your body is going to lead to hormonal issues. Same reason why, you know, women get super lean, they lose their period, right? The other thing tied to it is calories. So there's been studies on um, some diets and people where they go into a deficit and they have high carb, low fat, and there's no hormonal, or I'm sorry, they don't go into deficit at maintenance or surplus, but they are low fat and there's no correlation. So the, the common denominator or the, the, the rule of thumb that kind of rules out fat being the issue is a calorie deficit. So going into a calorie deficit, if you have low, low fat levels, there is a correlation between hormones and testosterone levels that is going to be decreased. If you get super lean, it's more so because you're just so shredded that you don't have body fat on your body and that's causing the hormonal issues. Um, and last but not least, if you're in maintenance or a surplus, it matters far less, if at all. There's been research on, there was one in, it was either Argentina or Brazil, it was in South America, one of those research labs, where they did an ultra high carb diet, super, super low fats, to the point where it's just, it's not even sustainable because they're basically eating like rice cereal and rice and fruit all day and just lean, lean protein, chicken, white fish, mm. no fats, just gross diet. Um, no oils, no butters, no nuts, like just gross, right? Wow. Um, but what they showed is like, they gained a lot of muscle, not much fat at all. And they didn't have any health or hormone issues because they weren't in a calorie deficit. So we know that before you worry about fat intake to support hormones, you have to worry about total calories. If your hormones are in a bad place, going keto and staying in a deficit, isn't going to do shit. You have to get out of a deficit. And I probably wouldn't recommend going high fat and in a surplus to fix your hormones if you're strength training and you don't want to gain fat because we know based on the last research review that fat stores easier as fat when you're in a surplus yeah. by about 10 to 20%. So if you're in a deficit, different story because you're in a deficit, you shouldn't be storing fat. So it's not really going to make a difference. Um, it might lead to better performance, so on and so forth, but that's a different topic. But the point is, is if you are at, let's say, let's say you're in a deficit or, or you're at maintenance and you're at 50 grams of fat. If you go to 70 grams of fat, it's not going to supercharge your hormones. There's not going to be increase in testosterone or any of these things because you're at maintenance. If you're in a deficit and you go from 50 grams of fat to 70, it might protect your hormones a little bit more if 50 is too low for you personally. Um, but if, as long as you're at that minimum, which after the bodybuilding case studies and the physique recommendations, they actually determined was uh, 0.5 times your body weight in kilograms, I believe it was. You'd have to look at the study mm. um, as the bare minimum. But that's very, very low. For me, that's like 38 grams of fat, which is like 
You, you can't have whole eggs or a steak on that. It's just too low. It's just hard to fit calories in. Totally. But that means that I can keep my fat pretty low if I'm not in a deficit, and I'll be totally fine. Um, throughout the deficit, that's as low as you want to get too. But again, as you get leaner, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead to that. So, um, the, 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 so to cap this off, what I'll say is like exactly what about my opinion has changed and then also my recommendations. The thing that has changed about my, my opinions is that low fat equaling bad hormones is not true. Low calorie or extremely low body fat levels equal causes bad that. hormones eventually causes that eventually. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean bad hormones right away. It just means at a certain point, if you keep consistently doing it, you're probably going to wear your body. We talked about hormonal adaptation, metabolic adaptation. That's going to occur faster if you're in a deficit or if you have really low body fat levels and it's less tied to a low fat diet. The only time bringing fats up a little bit higher might prevent that or slow that process down is if you bring them up a little bit above the minimum requirement while you're actually in a deficit. Gotcha. But there's not as much carryover as, as we once believed. The other thing that was interesting is there was a study done uh, on fat intake and, and testosterone that Mass Research Review actually just reviewed um, that goes pretty well. It coincides with, with what I'm saying pretty well. Um, there is a correlation between fat and testosterone levels uh, from ingesting fat. But again, you're not going to supercharge it by increasing more and more is kind of what they got at. But what they did see as well is mono and saturated fat. So mono unsaturated and saturated fat specifically had a better correlation to increase testosterone levels, which I would assume means increased hormone levels, period. They were specifically looking at testosterone, but I'd say all sex hormones, which are going to play a big role of what adapts and goes lower as you diet, um, compared to polyunsaturated fat, which means, okay, you're going into a diet, you're focused on physique, like myself, I'm going to go into a deficit and I'm going to try to keep carbs higher and I'm going to push closer to that low end of fat because I want to get as many carbs as I can in to train as hard as I can to preserve as much muscle as I can. And knowing that in a surplus, carbs store harder as fat, it just tells me that there's probably going to be a better absorption of carbs anyway compared to fat as long as I'm getting my minimum. But it also means that if I'm going lower fat, I'm going to preferentially focus more on saturated and monounsaturated fat. Which also makes sense because the whole paleo thing with butter in your coffee and coconut oil being yeah. so healthy, those are saturated fats. So people lean towards those. Um, also with like the carnivore diet and, uh, and paleo and, and people wonder why there wasn't these decreases in some of those hormones. Saturated fat. Totally. Meat, animal products, butter, coconut oil again. So um, that's going to play a big role. But just kind of getting your polyunsaturated fat from the mandatory ones like fish oil and stuff like that, and then focusing more so on monounsaturated, it's probably going to protect your hormones a little bit more when you're going into a low-fat setting. Um, and then again, like 0.5 grams per kilogram is like the lowest you should go during a deficit, which is pretty low. Um, and, and I would say a healthy or a good low-fat diet for anybody going on a diet that wants to preferentially use more carbs is going to be anywhere between 0.5 to 0.7 grams per kilogram of body weight. Um, most research is done in kilograms too, guys, because we're the only place in the entire world that uses pounds for weight, just like we're the only ones that use miles instead <laughs> of kilo kilometers. Yeah. I, I don't know if that makes us cool or stupid, but... Um, Point being is, and it's funny because when you read a lot of research and you listen to a lot of podcasts, you hear kilograms all the time and it's kind of annoying because you have to learn how to do it and calculate it. But just take your body weight and divide it by 2.2 and that'll give you your, your body weight in kilograms and then times that by <coughs> half, 50%, yep. 0.5. Um, and that's the minimum. So I think low fat diets are totally safe compared to what I used to believe, but there's a couple specific things you got to think about when you go into it. 
or more or less about low calories instead. Yeah, and low body fat levels. Cool. All right, we're going to go to the next one here. The third one comes on comes from vegan diets do not work. Oh, no, I, I still think that. Yeah. I'm just playing. <laughs> no, I'm joking. So we're going to go to the next. No. <laughs> All right, so I'm not a vegan diet. I'm not an anti-vegan diet guy. Um, I've been asked that a couple times just because I give a very raw and, and real opinion about it. And I have a couple things to say before I dig into how my thoughts have changed. Um, and my thoughts have changed in a way that will probably make vegans happy. So just so you guys know for pre-context. Um, I have no personal vendetta against any diet as long as you don't push it on other people as a healthier route for every individual because there's no diet that's black and white dogmatically the best thing for anybody. And I have no problem with people doing it for ethical reasons. I actually really respect that. I honestly do. Um, I I don't think that it's right to say that it's better it's 100% better for the environment because in some ways it is, but in other ways it's not because, you know, animals actually do help us uh, with the environment. So by not killing them to not eat them, yes, they're going to help the cycle of life and improve the environment. But the problem is, is there's a lot of soy farms that, that push vegan, like vegan processed foods that actually hurt the environment. And actually in the process of building those farms, they kill a lot of rodents, birds, insects, stuff like that, which feed into the cycle of life that help the environment. So it's kind of like a, a, a blend. And I actually think that if it wasn't for both parties, we would be potentially in a worse place. So mm-hmm. I think it's good that there's a balance between the two. Um, and then last but not least, what you eat doesn't make me shit. And I've said that a million times. And what I mean by that is I literally don't care what anybody decides to eat. It's your personal choice, you know, so it doesn't affect me. So I have no problem with any way of eating. Um, but I used to believe that vegan diets were very subpar for health and performance and muscle. And I no longer think that. However, I do think it's more difficult to accomplish the same result on a vegan diet. And I'll explain why. But um, just to kind of like put the cherry on top of this, very recently there was a study done on vegan diets for muscle hypertrophy. So body composition, literally. And, uh, and it showed no difference in results between normal diet and uh, a vegan diet. However, there's a few things in the context there. They were supplementing. So they're covering their bases. And number two, they were eating 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight in, um, protein. And, uh, you know, I personally eat about 2.75 grams per kilogram in body weight. So more than double what they were consuming in the study. And the only reason I say that is because I don't know anybody. So 1.6 grams per kilogram is about 0.7, 0.75 grams per pound of body weight. I don't know anybody who's like jacked and looks really good and is buff that eats less than 0.8, usually less than a gram per pound, which means that the study was subpar in protein consumption anyway. And if it's difficult to meet the needs on a 1.6 gram per kilogram diet of of body weight in protein, I can't imagine trying to eat what I eat, 2.75 which I eat more than body weight and protein. I eat about 1.2, 1.25. So I eat more than enough, but let's drop it a little bit. Two, 2.2. They say 2.2 grams is like, that's one gram per pound body weight. That's ideal. So going with a study that does 0.7, I always got to ask like, okay, well, what if they did push that to 2.2 grams per kilogram? You know what I mean? Like that's another 50% almost. Like yeah. what if they push it a little bit beyond that? Like 
let's take the people that are already jacked and put them on a vegan diet consuming the same macros. Will it be the same result? Probably. If, if, this, if that showed the same results as the study, it 100% would be. So in theory and based on science, there is no difference. The thing that I see a difference in is, is flexibility and adherence. How can you reach that much protein on a vegan diet? That's where it gets difficult because what they did really well in this study is they also matched, they matched the amino acid profile. So the reason I didn't like a vegan diet was because it's hard to get the right amino acids within your protein intake. So for you to get the right amino acids to spike muscle protein synthesis ideally in every meal and get enough of those throughout the whole day, you got to be really tricky with what foods you're eating, supplementing uh, with protein shakes, stuff like that. Yeah. They controlled all that. So they matched amino acids. They matched protein intake. Obviously, that's going to be a huge plus. Um, the more you increase that protein, the harder that gets. So my thoughts have changed as when I used to believe that vegan diets were subpar, uh, period. And then I was like, okay, they're subpar because you literally, you physically can't get the right amino acids to make them ideal. But this study proved me wrong. You can get the right amino acids. And if you do that and you supplement with the right things, because I believe they were taking the vitamins and minerals needed as well, just to cover their backs as far as like general health, vitamins B, calcium, iron, omega-3s, zinc, stuff like that. Um, and the results were the same. So it's really hard for me to sit here and say that a vegan diet is subpar because this study proved it wrong, right? Um, and that's me being completely, I mean, eating my own words, essentially, totally. you know? Um, and again, I've never had a problem with vegan diets because if you choose to, but it's the same thing with the carnivore diet. I don't think the carnivore diet's smart. You're eliminating fruits, vegetables. You're eliminating starchy carbs. You're eliminating everything but meat. But if you want to do that, then dope, dude. Yep. And if you feel good, like Joe Rogan talks about all the time. He's like, I, I don't get it. And he, he's like a big fan of like, I like vegetables. I like Huge, those things. Yeah. But I felt good. He's like, I felt really good on the carnivore diet. After like the first week of explosive diarrhea was actually like his actual Instagram post. Yeah. And so it's like, well, if people feel good, what can you even say? Really, uh, Dr. Baker, who really made it popular, he's a doctor. He's physically fit. Um, he, I believe he's the world champion for rowing. So like on the rower. Yeah. He has like wow. world champion in his age range. So he's a beast. He feels amazing. He's been doing it for years. So it's like, you can't say shit. You know, if somebody it only feels- Only eats meat. Only eats meat. I think they allow whole eggs. But like, just meat. Wow. And he, he has no issues with- Big meat sweats, guy. Yeah. So like one of the, yeah. one of the uh, concerns originally was if you don't give any vitamin C <coughs> at all, you could potentially be more, um, what is it? I want to say scabies, but I might be wrong. There was an old, old disease that was like really common, like way back- like 1800s back yeah. like a long time ago. Um, but because you're eating animals and animals eat all these, you know, vegetables and grass and fermented foods that they have the vitamins and minerals inside the meat, like you get a lot of nutrients inside red meat. And that's why carnivore diet, you eat a lot of steak. You eat a lot of, some of them eat organ meats as well, which is one of the most nutrient dense animal products you can get. They're just disgusting. <laughs> like liver, tongue, yep. intestines. Like I, I can't do it, but they're extremely healthy. So they're getting all those through the meat. But again, it's, it's one of those things like as long as you don't go around telling everybody that everybody should do it, it's the best diet, totally. it's superior to yours, that's where I think you're wrong because we know this based on most studies showing calories in versus calories out. Things equate. This vegan study, well, if you can control calories, if you control protein, if you control nutrients, it's all the same. It's all the same. So I was definitely wrong about that side of things. Um, I still don't prefer it because it's just more difficult to adhere to. Um, and anybody, I think if you personally have a desire to be vegan through 
religious or ethical purposes, that's a level of, like, that's a why that has meaning to you. It's going to hold you accountable and you're going to do the work, you know? So when we talk about consistency with anything, if you don't have a desire to do it, if you don't have a why behind what you're doing, it's going to be hard to do it, Yep. period. So the only way for you to stay consistent and faithful to the approach is if you have a real deep meaning. So if somebody tells you this is the best way to lose weight, it's going to be hard for you to stick to a vegan diet because there's a lot of little details you got to pay attention to. You got to make sure you're getting enough omega-3s because you're going to get low on those. You can't have fish oil. So you got to buy algae oil, which is hard to source. Not that many products make it. You got to take extra because it's not directly from the fish. It's from the algae in the sea. Then you got to make sure that you're taking your multivitamins, your vitamin B, because you're going to be low on that. Iron, you're going to be low on that. Zinc, you're going to be low on that. Vitamin D, you're probably going to be low Mm -hmm. on that. You know what I mean? Um, There's a lot of polyunsaturated fat. So going back to the hormone thing, you got to find ways to get saturated, which is mainly from animal products. So you're basically stuck having quite a bit of coconut oil because that's one of the only you know, sources, there's a couple other saturated fat sources, but usually saturated fat is going to be from fats and meat, um, and butter, which is from a cow. You can't have that. You can't have dairy as a vegan. So you got to focus on that. Most protein sources are low in the amino acid leucine. So you got to find ways to either have extra protein per meal because you got to hit your minimum. So if I have to eat, let's say 20 grams of protein to get the right amount of leucine from steak, the person eating quinoa or tempeh or legumes or anything like that, it's probably going to have to have 30 to 40 grams of that protein source in order to hit that same amino acid, right? You can do it. You just got to eat more of that. You got to know that, you know? So there's all these little tiny things you got to be aware of. You're probably going to have to supplement. You're not going to get any creatine in your diet. So if you want creatine to help recovery, you should, you got to supplement with that. So there's, there's a lot of things here. Um, even taking e, uh, essential amino acids, you can get vegan essential amino acids that are a supplement that will help as well. You can supplement with a meal. So if you, if you don't feel like eating 40 grams of protein from beans because that's a ton of carbs, you can have an amino acid drink with it maybe. That'll help spike muscle protein synthesis. So there's scientific details that make a vegan diet work. But if you don't know that or you don't have a coach that's going to help you with that, which we do. We've had plenty of vegan clients. We still do have plenty of vegan clients um, on our like team roster if you don't know all these things, it's going to be hard to follow. Yeah. And if I tell you, you got to do all these things and you don't really care about being a vegan for ethical purposes or religious purposes, you're probably going to be like, fuck this. Just yeah. give me a diet that's easy. But if you have a meaning behind the vegan diet, you're going to be like, okay, cool. Because this matters to me. You know, and I think that's cool. It's just, you got to dial in these things if you want optimal results. So, totally. um, yeah, I mean, those don't are the biggest the, things. Don't think completely the same way. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely... I would say I used to just straight up be like, it's not right. And very recently, I've just dug into it's it just more. a little harder. Yeah. When I had somebody reach out because I have a protein article, the Ultimate Protein Guide, and there's a very, very short, very small section that just mentions vegan protein sources just not being as ideal. And somebody reached out and was like, hey, there's a new study. You should check this out. And she's a podcast listener. So shout out to you if you're listening to this because I, I did get your email. I can't remember if I emailed back. And I haven't edited the blog yet. And I think that's why I haven't emailed back. But I'm going to because... She was like, there was a recent study. And I was like, oh, shit. So I, like, dug in the study. And then just so happens that Mass Research View yeah. did a review on it. And I was like, I mean, I can't argue with that. Yeah. You know? I can, like I said, I have opinions on it from an adherence perspective. But it just, it, you got to pay attention to details. Yeah. That's the biggest the thing. Science. Yep. Exactly. Cool. Good, good, good. All right. We are going to move on to the last one here. Um the fourth one comes, it is, there's a lot more to diets than just calories. 
I used to think that. I used to think, um, you know, and I'm going to keep this one somewhat short because it's obvious. And, and I also wrote a really, really cool blog that should be out by now. And I don't know what the URL is because it's not published yet as we're recording this. But check out the blog to see that. Um, you know, once upon a time, I thought it, there was way more than just calories. So, like, the paleo diet works so well for people. There's got to be something significant or special about removing these non-paleo foods. Intermittent fasting works so well for people. Like, there's got to be a reason this fast helps. Maybe it's autophagy, right? Everybody talks about autophagy. Things like that. Okay, cool. Um, that might fuel fat loss or metabolism, whatever. Why are these people getting results? The carnivore diet, keto, mm-hmm. Mediterranean diet, all these things. Yet, when a diet comes out and it's creating results with people, it's going to take years for science to catch up. But now we have enough fad diets that have come out over the last two decades and enough research backing up what's actually working behind them to sit here and say, you know what? It really is just mainly calories, right? I get asked about autophagy all the time. So um, for lack of a, a perfect definition, and you can look up autophagy to get the literal scientific definition, but it's essentially the turnover of cells. So if we improve autophagy, then I mean, essentially we're improving aging process. We're going to be turning over cells. We're going to have healthier cells in our body. There's billions of cells in our body that influence every single organism, system, hormone in our body. So that's a pretty important fucking thing. Yeah. However, you know, when we do a test of, all right, we're going to take this group, we're not changing anything. And then we're going to take a group and do fasting. And we see an increase in autophagy with fasting group. What do we think? We think that autophagy leads to or sorry, fasting leads to better autophagy. That leads to better health. We should all fast. But then we take a study, which has happened, and we go, they're both going to be in a calorie deficit, but one group's going to be fasting. And it's basically the same. We're going to look at autophagy with just a calorie deficit. We see improvements. We're going to look at autophagy with better sleep. So we're going to improve somebody's sleep. Autophagy increases. We're going to look at autophagy with exercise and resistance training. It increases. So now we go, oh, wait, is it fasting or is it a calorie deficit? right? If all the health proponent things lead to better autophagy, is it really fasting? Or is it just that we took a random people and just said, start fasting and we see an increase, but it really just created a deficit. If they created a deficit and they lost some weight, they probably had lower stress, better health, better sleep. All these things lead to better autophagy. So does that mean that fasting isn't a route for better health through autophagy? No, because it clearly works for that. But it also means that that's not the only route. And it, it means that you don't have to fast, unless it's easier for you. So this goes back to the adherence thing. If I put you in a calorie deficit to improve your health and increase autophagy, which will work, but you can't adhere to the diet, then you're not going to see an increase in health, an increase in health or autophagy, right? But maybe if I put you in a fast and you skip breakfast, it's easier for you to adhere to a calorie deficit. Hmm. Now we see those things you wanted, health, autophagy. So that's one example for, for, for reference. Um, keto, it makes you a fat burning machine. It's going to lose more fat. And then they do a study where they control all the variables, protein, calories, exercise, all this stuff. It's the same. You know, it's calories in versus calories out. And the only reason it makes you a fat burning machine is because you have more fat coming into the diet. So whatever you have more of, you're going to burn more of. So it's just like if you, if you were on a really, really low carb and fat diet and you had a super high protein diet, you're going to see gluconeogenesis kick up, which is the process of taking protein and amino acids and converting them into glycogen so that you can burn them as fuel very inefficient process and it's a poor energy source. But what would we see? Oh, you're a protein burner. So we would see that's it. Then maybe we think now if you're burning protein, you're burning, uh, you're, you're wasting muscle. Yep. 
unless we look at the diet and see that they have no carbs and fat and they're eating three to 400 grams of protein a day, well, they're not wasting muscle. They're just eating way too much protein and that's their dominant fuel source. They have too much fat. That's your dominant fuel source. If you eat too much carbs, you're a carb burner, right? Um, and so, and there was like, there was a thing with like way back, they, they called it sugar burners, right? Mm. And it's a good marketing term. Like, oh, I can burn off sugar more. But you want to do that, right? That just seems like something you want to do. So people did it, but it's just a, it's a marketing ploy. But the point being is, is basically everything comes down to calories, right? Hormones came down to calories. Fasting. They did a group called the lean gain study and they did two groups, fasting and non-fasting for fat loss. Um, and it was the same calories controlled. What they did see is that the fasting group lost like just barely more fat. But when they looked at it closer, they were in a 250 calorie bigger deficit because it was harder for them to eat enough calories to stick to the total calorie intake while fasting and skipping half their day eating, which would also say that for some people, it might be easier to accomplish a deficit while fasting because those people had a tough time hitting their calories where the other group didn't. So, you know, now it can go either way. It can go either way. Yeah. If both of those groups had the exact same calorie deficit and they controlled that better, then we would have seen the exact same fat loss results. But because one group had a little bit bigger of a deficit, they both lost weight, but the fasting group lost just a little bit more weight and body fat, but they were in a 250 calorie extra deficit, which is more calories. Totally. Not, you know what I mean? In a deficit. Um, so in, in, I, in, in the blog, I go through the keto, Mediterranean, carnivore, intermittent fasting, paleo, um, the military diet, which was a thing for a while, which is funny. That was, do you ever remember hearing about that? Yes, but I can repeat it back to you. You used to, <laughs> you basically eat like a can of tuna, like five slices of white bread or something. Oh, that's and an right. apple or just something stupid. Right. It was like, um, cook, not cookie crisp, but like those, uh, Oh no, that was the HCG diet. Oh. I should add that in too. And you take these drops, yeah. which is probably water. <laughs> You're just not eating shit. SIBO. But they're like, oh, take these droplets and then follow this diet protocol. The diet protocol was like 500 calories a day. What are you doing? You're doing an extreme calorie deficit. With some water. With some water. The military diet, same thing. I don't know why they called it the military diet. Maybe people were stranded in the war and all they could find was tuna, white bread, and apples. Mm. So that's what they coined it. I have, I have no idea why it's called that. But it's a very, very, very low calorie diet. So the common thread is always low calories. If you equate calories you're going to lose the same amount of weight. If you equate calories and protein, you're going to lose the same amount of fat and maintain the same amount of muscle. Um, the only caveat there is potentially more muscle maintenance if you have more carbs than fat. But I would also say you would have to control training pretty well because if you eat more carbs during a fat loss phase, but your training intensity and volume is the exact same as the group not, you're not going to see a difference. But if those carbs allow you to train harder and hit more volume, which would happen in real life if they weren't saying, don't do more than this, yeah. you would see better results. But um, the main point is it's, it's, it comes down to calories. Yeah. The majority of things come down to calories. And the fact that the vegan diet, calories, you know, like everything. And it's hard for a lot of us evidence-based and science-based coaches and practitioners to accept that because it's so boring. It's like, wow, two decades of scientific nutrition research and it's still just calories. Like none of this cool shit works, you know? Um, and there is, well, there, I, think, I think the cool shit works, but with calories. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it might, it's a, it's a different path to yeah. accomplish the same thing, Yeah, which means it's a personal difference, different, you know? Different path, same source. Yeah. And there's even, you know, like, like, uh, outside of weight loss, there is some, I would say like outside of weight loss and fat loss, there's some differences between diets that can improve certain things, right? Aside from calories. Um, but we're talking about weight loss here, right? So an example of that is people were like, well, why are, like, why are you more productive 
when you fast. Like if you fast in the morning, you're, you're more productive in the morning. And there's a few reasons for that. One, uh, during a fast, cortisol increases, as does adrenaline. And both of those things kind of give you tunnel vision. There's actually like an ocular difference when cortisol and adrenaline is, is high. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, like some people, it just doesn't work, but like, you know, the thing where like, uh, if you're, if you're speaking in front of a crowd, they say like focus on one person, yeah. like just look at one personal time or look at one thing. The reason for that is if ad- adrenaline is high and cortisol is high, and this is why I think it's a thing. If you've zoned in on one thing, you can actually tune out peripheral vision Definitely. You know what I mean? So if you actually let adrenaline get up, even like if you're in a life or death situation, you get tunnel vision. You like, you are focused on surviving. Yeah. Um, adrenaline's up, cortisol's up and you, your ocular vision changes. So the, the shit going on in your eyes, which this is crazy. I heard this the other day from, uh, Andrew Huberman, I think his name is, um, heard him on Joe Rogan. And then I just went oh. down a rabbit hole of listening to him everywhere else. And he's, uh, Dude, he's like a tatted up dude who fucking like grew up in the skateboard punk skateboard community. So like, I, what got me attached to him is he was talking about his favorite band Rancid, and I was like, I've never heard anybody else besides me and my brother that likes Rancid. Mm. And now he's like a professor, and he's like one of the smartest fucking dudes. He's the one that was shooting his dog with testosterone. Oh, that I tell you about. Gosh, yeah, um, his bulldog giving him TRT. Oh my! <laughs> I was like, this guy is awesome, and uh, we're crazy. So the. The eyeballs are an extension of your brain. Yeah. So there was like a process that actually, uh, during evolution, that protruded them out of your body. Like, so they were once like in the brain. Like it's, the way he explained it was like, well, fucking trippy. So it's the only part of your brain that's exposed to oxygen. <laughs> like, in, it's weird. So this, you can see my brain technically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, he, speaking of the ocular, right? So like when cortisol and adrenaline go up, you get tunnel vision. You focus more. Um, that's a positive thing. So why do you have more focus when you intermittent fast? Because of that. If you eat carbs, if you eat food, uh, you actually lower cortisol, which may blunt that productivity, which is partly why I, I wake up two, three hours before I eat and I crank out as much work as I can. But I also don't extend that fast because I live a high stress lifestyle. And I know if I let cortisol get too out of hand, it's probably going to bite me in the ass. So there's a balance to be had there. You know, For somebody who runs a business, has a family and trains really hard every day, might not be the best thing. Totally. Um, there's days where I know I'm not training. Sometimes it's Wednesdays when I just know we got a lot of content stuff. And I, I literally, I'll either just do a shake in the morning, like a, a protein shake that won't spike my insulin and get me out of that fasting state as much. Um, or I'll just skip it and just fast. Because I'm like, well, I, I'm, I'm going to crush work today. I'm not training or anything. I'll eat later. And I just extend the fast a little bit. Um, so things like that, there are benefits to that, right? There's benefits for people with diseases to go on keto diets and things like that. There are purposes. Paleo, if you need to eliminate things because you have IBS, FODMAP, there's reasons for those things that are aside from calories. But the point of what my opinion has changed on is that I don't get like um, shiny object syndrome from diet fads anymore or new diets with titles. The reality is if we're talking about fat loss or weight loss, calories are what matter most, right? across all fad diets, across all diets that do something to trigger weight loss for people, the common theme across them all is that they all create a calorie deficit. So any diet works if there is a deficit. And that's the thing my opinion has changed on. And, I, and I'm solidified on by science today is that if you equate calories, weight loss is not going to be different. Period. Period. Love it. That's a wrap. That's the last one, right? Yeah. I think that's great. Um, 59 minutes. Any, uh, 
the ebook that you mentioned, performance. Performance bodybuilding. Go download it. Check out the new blogs. We will link those uh, YouTube videos and those other blogs in this description. So check those out. Yeah. There's a lot of blogs being uploaded lately. Yep. And we're redoing a lot of blogs. So definitely go tune into the blog. Make sure you're staying up to date with that. Every single week, we're either dropping a new one, if not dropping a new one, and editing an old one. So go to the blog, hit the search bar, and type in whatever the fuck you want. I guarantee there's a blog on it. If there's not... Shoot me an email and let me know what you want to say. As long as it's nutrition or fitness related. Yeah, (laughs) basically. All right. Well, have a great day, guys.